Well, good morning, New Life Manitou. How are we this morning? Hey, oh, wow. That was a robust response. Yeah, signs of life here. I'm glad glad you guys are here. Um, We are continuing in our series on uh, the book of Galatians today, and we are at the very beginning of chapter four. Four, so one, two, three, and then four, five, six. We're right smack dab halfway point of the letter, and so we're going to back up just a little bit and get a running start into the um, second half of this letter to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us here today. But let's pray before we do that. <laughs> and so, Jesus, we trust. Um, We trust the testimony of the church, of the apostles, of the scriptures, that you are alive and um, you are making us alive. And so we, here we are on the beginning of October, it's crisp air outside and we want, um, we say again that we're showing up. We say again that we want you to fill us up with your life and so come and do it this morning speak for your servants who are listening. We say this in the name, we pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever, amen. So Galatians 3, starting in verse 26, is where we'll start this morning. It'll be up here on the screens for us if you don't have a, like a phone or a Bible or something. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of the ones that are like in the baskets near your chairs. Like that, you can have that if you want. We're the church. We give out Bibles for crying out loud. Um, so Galatians 3, verse 26 Um, And this is the NIV, and I've modified it slightly, um, meaning that I've changed Christos to Christ, um, that's normally Christ, to Messiah, because it means the same thing, the Jewish Messiah. um, uh, The Greek is Christos. We've changed it to Messiah. And then the word nomos or namas, that's normally translated law, we've translated, we've changed it right here to Torah, because that's what um, the Jewish Torah is what um, Paul's talking about here, just for clarity's sake. Um, Translations are difficult sometimes. So verse 26. So in Messiah Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Messiah, having, um, have all of you who were baptized in Messiah have clothed yourselves with Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For all, for you are all one in Messiah Jesus. If you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying, verse one of chapter four, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. 
But when the set time had come, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the Torah, to redeem those under the Torah, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, what's going on? (laughs) Gosh. Okay, quick, show of hands. How many of you have ever tried to read the Bible? This is not a trick question. Okay, okay, okay. That's bully for you. That's great. Um, And how many of us, you can, this can be another show of hands. How many of you in trying to read the Bible have found that the Bible is rather difficult to read sometimes? Raise your hands. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Let's be all honest about this. This uh, library, it is a library of ancient, of like, it's really old documents. They are often stretching and frequently beautiful and occasionally downright befuddling. (laughs) They're just like, what is going on here? Bound together as they are, the Bible is. um, They tell the story of humanity, of us, being invited to join our creator in becoming kings and queens over the world. That's the story of the Bible. If you had only like literally the first page of the Bible and the last page of the Bible in your Bibles, you would be able to figure out this story. Right here it says, the very first page of the Bible, then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. So what? So they may rule. Wow, God has a high opinion of humanity. This is the content of Psalm 8, if you're wondering. Like, what is man that you're mindful of him? And yet you set everything under his feet. And then Revelation 22.5, the last page of the Bible. They will what? They will reign forever and ever. All those pages in between the first page and the last page is the mess. That's the messy middle. It's the story of how humanity, we fail at this again and again and again, not just back then, but like in our lives. We begin defining for ourselves what is good and what is evil. We start snatching from the forbidden tree and we haven't stopped yet. Like, that's what we're doing. We were meant to be the heirs of everything, is what God made us for. Not to be slavish slaves or like, uh, like I don't know, peons or chess pieces moving around. To be children, to be heirs of all. We were meant to inherit the world, but instead we find ourselves, not just back then, but today, find ourselves fractured and broken, and miserable, killing each other, 
and dying ourselves. <laughs> so if we, the, the messy middle in the Bible shows the links and the patience of God and the links to which the creator values human participation. Does God override humanity? Even though he, we, have, we continually mess up. Does he just say, okay, forget about it. I'm just gonna turn them on into automatons, into robots. No, he doesn't override us. He values our participation, us joining in us, whatever part of us is that chooses. He wants us to choose. God never coerces us into obedience. God never outmuscles us. He says, I want you to choose me. He, said, he, want, he invites people to choose. Choose to trust me. Choose to follow me. And so the story, the messy middle in the Bible, God gently forges this nation called Israel. That's what the, the, the whole of the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, is about. He chooses this one guy, Abraham, and says, out of you, I am going to bless the entire world. That's what the story of Abraham's about in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3 at the very beginning. I'm going to bless the world through your family, through your offspring, your descendants. Your seed is the word that gets used there and here in Galatians. You are going to be the people that will finally stop snatching from the tree, that are going to stop defining good and evil for yourselves, and you're going to be the ones who finally trust me, who finally listen to divine instruction, what frequently gets translated as law, that word law, is you will finally listen to my Torah, to my instruction. Law is a kind of a misleading word because it makes most of us, if we were to re really honest, we got a ticket this week for uh, having an expired plate on our car. Ah, oh, it's the worst. That's what we think about, but it, it is a bummer. But like <laughs> most of the time when we hear the word law, we think of like police and judges and maybe curly wigs and like gavels and wood paneled like walls and stuff. That's what we, we think about. Um, but all of that is pretty new in world history. All of that's pretty new in world history and very different from ancient law and definitely different than Israel's instruction. Instruction for Israel, Torah, is more like the long, arduous, grueling process of raising up kids, is more what the instruction that God gave um, Israel is like. I need to instruct you, because you did not come pre-programmed knowing how to live in the world. I need to instruct you in everything. <laughs> like our uh, daughter, our oldest daughter right now is in kindergarten, and she's regularly bringing home um, these sorts of things. You can go ahead and throw that up there, Mark. These sorts of things... We remember this, don't we? Yeah, yeah, letters, onlines. I totally remember this. To grow up, you have to learn everything. You have to be instructed in everything, even the most basic sorts of things that we as grown-ups take for granted, like how to form the letter G. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's really basic. And so here, practice on these lines is what, what she's doing right now. Um, that's something more along the lines of what Torah meant to the ancient Israelites. It's instruction. It's a starting place for everything, for for thinking about everything. In fact, this metaphor, I'm not, I'm not stretching 
uh, for this metaphor of raising up children, Israel is called God's son. That's the way the Exodus story begins. We just, a lot of times, don't read carefully in, in Scripture. You need, I needed someone to point this out to me, and now I'm offering it to you. Exodus 4, 22. So say to Pharaoh, this is what Yahweh, what the Lord, says. Israel is my firstborn son. That's my child. Let my son go so that he may worship me. And so the Torah, the instruction of God um, that, that Yahweh, the God of Israel, gives is fatherly instruction. It's fatherly instruction. I want you to grow up. I want you to learn everything. I want you to be kings and queens and heirs of everything. I want you to show the world what looks like to be truly alive and fully human. It's, it's less like forcing rules onto my children or forcing laws onto my children and more like teaching my children like how to ride a bike, you know? Like here, here, this is how you're to move. This is how you're to live. This is what joy is going to feel like when you're actually fully alive. It's instruction on, on everything you were meant to do. That's what the middle of the story is like, and it's messy because Israel ends up, they're infected with the same disease that all the rest of us are infected with. They reject God's Torah, God's instruction again and again and again. And the story of Israel ends up being the same as ours. They are fractured, broken, and miserable, killing others and dying themselves. And by the end of the Hebrew scriptures, by the end of the Old Testament, you have prophets like fixing their hope on the faithfulness of God and saying, one day, maybe God will send an anointed leader, a Mashiach, a Christos, a, a, a fully alive human who actually will obey God's instruction and will give that instruction, write the Torah on our hearts and help save us from self-destruction and help us to walk in true instruction and grow up to be kings and queens. The Old Testament in about seven minutes. Thank you. Thank you. And so, no, 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 please stop, stop, stop. That was, it wasn't meant to be self-serving. Um, this is, that's the long, complicated story. It, it is hard to read sometimes because it's written in like all kinds of different genres and literatures and it's coming from all kinds of different places and got different words and stuff. It's the long, complicated story that Paul is tapping into in, our, in this passage today through, throughout the letter to the Galatians and especially here in this really, it's a really difficult section. Paul is saying, he's saying, um, verses 26 through 29, the anointed one, that Messiah that we've been longing for has arrived. He has arrived and this Messiah includes everyone who trusts in him in this new coming alive reality. You're included through faith, verse 26. You just trust, trust it. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or non-Jewish, if you're circumcised or not, if you're rich or poor or slave or free, if you're male or female or even struggling with the idea of like gender in general. Like, listen to me, you are included in this new life. Jesus loves you. 
Not someone else. He loves you. You are chosen. It's really good news. Jesus includes you in his death and in his breaking of death. Like he, he's, he's giving you life. And we, when we recognize, we're gonna be doing it in a couple of weeks with baptism. When we recognize this reality, verse 27, we're baptized into the Jesus community. <laughs> it's an outward sign of an already true reality. You, verse 26, you are all children. Literally, he says, regardless of gender, you're all sons. That's that's Exodus language. Yeah, like Israel is my firstborn son. And now you are that people. You are my people. Israel's Messiah includes you in Israel's story. And so now, now all of you, all of you are sons. All of you are verse 29. All of you are Abraham's seed. All of you are people of God. That's the heartbeat. That's the pulse of the breathtaking good news that's taken place up to chapter 3. Following the Jewish Messiah does not require you to become Jewish, Paul's been saying. Pastor Joe talked about it last week. All y'all are one in the Messiah. You are Abraham's seed, if you want to Take notes on this uh, complicated. Oh, it's actually that one, um, Abraham's seed will bless the world. Yep, that next slide. Yep, perfect. Um, Abraham's seed, verse 16 of chapter three. That was the promise that they would bless the world. And that seed, his argument goes, that seed is us with Jesus. Jesus includes us. We are the ones that with Jesus get to bless the world. That's Paul's like giant point in the first half of the book of Galatians. And he keeps going into what we call chapter four. And he says, Lego day, what I'm saying, or other translations say, what I mean, this is my point. He's about to summarize all of what he said up till now. He says, verse one, we were all underage. We were all undeveloped. We were all immature at some point, growing up image, until Jesus arrived. And even though we, the human race, you, we're not talking about abstract, this is your destiny. This is like, this is the real world that we live in, the mystery that we live in. You are destined to be the heir of all things with everyone else. But at one point, verse, four, verse one, you were effectively slaves. That's how growing up works. Ask my kids. Until you're a grown-up, you've got verse two, you've got guardians and trustees planning your day, telling you what to do, go to kindergarten, you know, that sort of thing. No, I want to watch Bluey. No, you got to go to school. And so, um, and then Paul says something that's, what's hard to understand. He says, this is what life without Jesus looks like. That's what he says. He says, when we were underage, verse 3, we were in slavery, in slavery under tastoikia. Tastoikia, what on earth? It gets translated a lot of different ways depending on the translation you have. Some might say elementary spiritual forces. Some might say the powers. Some might say the elements. One of my, I don't remember which one it was. It's my favorites. It was the rudiments. The rudiments. You are enslaved under the rudiments. What on earth is Paul talking about here? Because verses eight and nine, Paul goes on to warn us. In verse nine, he says, we're tempted to turn back to them. 
is what he says, to those weak and miserable stoichia, to those things, verse 8, we're tempted to, to turn back to those things that by nature are not God's. And he's desperately concerned at this point in the letter. He says, do you want to be slaves again to them? By verse 11, he's expressing for like the third or the fourth time in the letter he's con how concerned he is. He says, have I wasted my efforts on you? Is Paul really concerned? Yes, he's as concerned as we ever see him in his letters. But do we really understand what he is concerned about? The Bible's hard to read. <laughs> no. I remember as a kid, I was, um, I was being taught how to hold a baseball bat. And so you hold it. And, voice, and I was put into the game at some point, and I didn't quite know how. And I just kept hearing voices, whoever they were, yelling at me from all, choke up, choke up, Brett, choke up. And except nobody had explained to me what choke up meant. Like, I knew what the word choke, I knew that's something bad, like something with your neck, but choke up, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have time to figure this out, like, that kid's about to throw something at me, like, I, gotta, I don't know what you're saying, anyway, until I knew what the words meant, I couldn't do anything with them, right? Yeah, same thing's going on here. How can we avoid becoming slaves to the rudiments, to the stoichia, to the elements, if we have no idea what the elements are? Because evidently, Paul's worried. He's saying that we can become slaves to the elements, and I want to be free. I want to live a free kind of life, and a fully alive kind of life. And so let's wrap up this sermon in the next 10 minutes or so by just thinking a little bit about the elements, okay? And trying to know what Paul is saying right here. We want to think about the element. Well, yeah, no, not, not, some of you just had flashbacks to like high school chemistry and panicked a little bit, but actually these, this actually will help us um, get at what, point, what Paul is saying about the stoichia, because when we talk about hydrogen or oxygen or carbon, are we talking about like, big things are little things. Well, little things, yeah, but the word little makes it sound like um, maybe it's, like, insignificant or something. So maybe I should ask this. Hydrogen, oxygen, and carbon, are they trivial things or important things? <laughs> important things, that's right. And so they are, like, fundamental things, like, the most fundamental things. They're the things that make all the other things, right? And so, like, they are the things that are, like, so utterly fundamental, so taken for granted, so basic, that it's difficult to, like, conceive of anything, like, under them. The ancient world, they didn't know about carbon or oxygen or hydrogen, but they could conceive of this. These are called the classical elements. Thank you, Getty Images or Google Search or whatever. Like, that's a pretty picture, isn't it? They, this is what we call the classical elements, earth, water, air, and fire, and heart, Captain Planet. Um, like everything, right? Um, everything they theorized must be composed of something really basic. And so um, essentially we could say it this way, stoichia, 
this word that it's like, how's it getting translated? Are the most fundamental basics is what this word kind of means. In the physical universe, like things you can touch and smell and stuff, it's like the basic fundamentals are atoms and quarks and apparently quantum fields and stuff. Um, But if we were to talk about other things, what are the most fundamental basics about other things? Like language, for example. Um, then we would get like a little bit different answer, wouldn't we? Like those uh, words on the screen right there that you can read, that your brain is interpreting right now. Um, they are made, oh, put it back up real quick. I'm so sorry. Put it, like that is a sentence and it's made of words. And the words are made of letters, like on a like most basic level, and so like the like th- that um, you can go to the next slide. If the, we could say that the stoichia of like language is actually next slide, please, is this? That's the stoichia of language. Like it's like the most basic. This is like a, this is actually another way that stoichia gets used in the ancient world. It's like the most basic kind of language stuff that you can have. You got to learn these things before you can learn anything else. Um, what we consider most basic will eventually rule over us like a god. That whether it's Captain Planet elements, you know, for anyone Jewish, or Yahweh's early instruction in Torah for anyone who happened to be Jewish. Like, uh, this thing is the thing that's ruling over me. And I don't want to oversimplify here, but what Paul is saying, I do think it's something like this. He's saying to the people in Galatia, the fundamental basics of the world are not basic, Jesus, so don't become a slave to them because Jesus has revealed that love is most basic. Love is most basic. Specifically, he's concerned in this letter. He said he's concerned about basic fundamentals, like assumptions that people are carrying in, creeping into the first century church in Turkey, in Galatia, that are dividing people rather than uniting people. Basic fundamentals that say, well... If men are circumcised, if you eat kosher, if you do all the right religious things, then, only then, are you really in the group. The the ancient world, they had um, like basic fundamentals that people couldn't question. There were fundamentals like that were elemental to everyday life that said the world is divided into Roman citizens and everyone else. Or you are Jewish, and then there's everyone else. You're either free or a slave. You're either male or you're needing a male, a father, or a husband so that you can function in society. You need male and female. The world is divided up into all these groups of people, families that you care for, and enemies that you hate, those you protect, and those you attack. Those are the unquestioned. You can't get beneath those fundamental categories. But evidently, there is something new coming into the world, bursting onto the scene. New creation is what Paul will call it at the end of the letter. A world where no one is defined by gender 
or ethnicity or social class, but evidently we're all defined by the love of our creator. A world, yes, where we seek the good of our families, but then we seek the good of our enemies. We, we seek the good of our families, but then we seek the good of our enemies too. It's a world where love reigns supreme. Where verse 6 of what, he, of what we've read today, where God has breathed into us the cry of Abba. Father, that moment where you're like, oh, I've just, I'm starting to love God. And eventually that is erupting out of us, but eventually that divine breath, it keeps working until we see those we despise in the world and suddenly erupts out of us the cry of brother, sister, I love you too, where we sit with one another at the same table is really important to Paul and where we embrace one another as one family. That is what Jesus has accomplished. That's what he's calling all of us into. It's not the love, it's, it's not the divisions that we put up between ourselves all the time. It is love that is most basic. This is what we are invited into and the tragedy is that we slip back into approaching life with other categories than Abba, brother, sister, I will love you. You are someone to love. All these centuries later, different basics are still vying to enslave us. For us, it's not Jew or Gentile that we really think about, but it's very often Democrat or Republican. It is. Rarely do we think about slave or free uh, unless we're thinking about historical and the legacy that it's been handed down to us and the way it's still affecting us. But very often we're thinking about vaccinated or not. Aren't we? Or are you, a, we thought it this morning. Are you a mask wearer or not? Can we name this? We, we, we have to. How exhausting is it for us to view everyone around us as a threat? How, can't we live in a new creation? <laughs> like, very often for us, it's Fox News or CNN is the way that we're dividing up and we're evaluating who's on our side and who's not. If we're not careful, though, we will end up becoming disciples of our cable news channel, which really means that we become slaves of our cable news channel. We're slaves because we're riddled with fear of them. Them. All of them out there and what they want to do to the country. They want to destroy. Do you know what kind of policies they want to put in place? We're slaves suddenly because we feel like we are above that group of people. They and they are beneath us. We're slaves because we've learned to judge our neighbor instead of loving our neighbor. A, a theologian I admire said this over the last week. He said, dear Christian, if your favorite news outlet stunts your desire to love your neighbor, regardless of partisan affiliation, it's pushing you away from the heart of Jesus. And it's time to turn it off. Yeah. That might be... Um, 
God help us, that might be the best spiritual discipline that many of us could do and the most countercultural thing that we could do in the world at this point. The point of being a Christian is that the heart of Jesus, the life of Jesus gets into us. That the entire biblical story is inviting us into something bigger than the mere basic fundamentals of the world. The basic fundamentals of the world that we would share in God's rule and reign and become sons and daughters and heirs of the whole world. And do you want to know how God rules? Do you want to know how God reigns? It's not like Zeus. It's not like Odin. It's not with power trip from on high on some mighty mountain. It's coming down the mountain, going into Jerusalem, and then climbing the hill to Golgotha and dying for the life of the world. If you want to find out how God rules and reigns the world, we have to look at Jesus. Jesus loves. Jesus serves. In Jesus, God goes beneath us is what God does. God, the one, he gets beneath us. He girds his waist to wash our feet and to pour out his life of love for us. Jesus reigns by loving and serving. And we cannot love those we fear. You can't do it. If cable news is making you afraid of other people in this, in this nation, stop. You can't love somebody that you fear. You can't serve the person that you think is beneath you. I can't do it with the people I think is beneath. I have to get beneath them. I have to follow Jesus and gird my waist. The stoichia of this world. What every cable news channel believes is that political majority and power and force is how we're going to heal the world. That's how we're going to save the world. You got to outmuscle the bad guys. We got to leverage everything we can. We got to storm the Capitol in Washington. We've got to riot in the streets in Minneapolis. We got to hate our enemies. We got to insult them. We've got to stereotype them. We've got to cancel them. We've got to destroy them. Those are the fundamental basics in the 21st century, and the fundamental basics of this world are totally wrong. Love is most basic. Love. Love's most basic. So this is what I'm trying to say, and we're coming to the table. Love is the most basic fundamental. It's the who God is. It's the why we're here. It's the where we're going. And this is really important for all of us to remember because we're tempted so far away from it. It is how we get there. That's how we get there. We don't, the means don't justify the ends. We love every moment of our lives because we are the seed of Abraham. We're the family of Abraham who get to join in the reign of God that is loving and serving. And we start blessing and healing the world around us when we start, when we quit trying to outmuscle it. Instead, our overwhelming concern becomes, how can I know them? really know them? How can I serve them? How can I love them? I know, I know that sounds crazy, but that's the kind of life that's where we're actually going to be unafraid. That's the kind of life where we're finally going to get rest. So this morning, band, you can come on up. This morning, the Spirit of God, I believe in us, is wanting to free us He's wanting to set us free. 
He's wanting us to join in the God who gets beneath. The God who puts a towel around his waist and washes the feet of those who will betray him, those who would deny him. He's praying blessing over the people who would kill him. And it's because he wants to set us free into this kind of life because that is the only kind of freedom that is going to last. The freedom to love. It's the only kind of lasting life. It's the only life that walks out of the grave. And so Jesus, we ask this morning, Holy Spirit, we say, Abba, Father, and come and do work in us. Set us free from fear, from the fear of others, from fear of that group of people. Jesus, set us free from self-righteousness of looking down on others, on that group of people in whatever ways we do it. Spirit of God, we want you to set us free. Set us free to believe that love is most basic and ground our lives in it. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.